It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everybody, it's Dan. Before we get started on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, you know I've got to tell you about Football Insider because I don't know why you haven't signed up yet. It's got all kinds of great things for you. Just starting with when you're sitting there on cleveland.com slash brown scrolling through the site, you get access to all of those exclusive articles, but there's more to it than just that. Uh, you get a daily newsletter with exclusive content that doesn't go anyplace on the site as well, so just more exclusive content, this time directly to your inbox. And you get access to our texting service where me, Mary Kay, Ellis, and Scott will text you during the day uh, with news, analysis, thoughts. If we're doing feature interviews, sometimes we'll put little nuggets in there that might not even make it into the story, and we do different things for our tech subscribers, including a post-game show every Sunday, we have a subscriber on to make picks with us on Fridays. I'll be doing a call out for that probably here in a couple of weeks, looking for some new tech subscribers uh, to get involved in our Friday picks pod. So you want to check out Football Insider right now. Go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a blue banner on top of the page. You click there, you can get all the information, and more importantly, you can get signed up. Now, here's our podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Wednesday edition. I am Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How you doing? Doing well. And Ellis Williams, I believe fresh off the uh, the latest Gotta Watch the Tape pod, which by the time you hear this has already gone up on the feed, but Ellis Williams joining us as well. Ellis, how are you? I'm cool, man. Coming back to back on the pods, like you said. <laughs> going at Doug and Scott so I'm coming with a lot of energy I'm back in Crocker Park so I'm here to go on this Tuesday let's do it I see that a, f- a familiar background for Ellis here on the pod now we're gonna have Terry Pluto here in the second half that'll come up after the break uh, so stay tuned for that after we're done talking but I thought it would be a good opportunity today to kind of assess where the Browns are because they will be playing the Bengals for the second time and that first Bengals game it was sort of a weird week for this team they come out they play the first game against Baltimore uh, they lose by, what was that, 32 points in that game. And then they turn around and they beat Joe Burrow and the Bengals by five. Really, I thought we're in control in that game most of the way. The Bengals, of course, made it interesting. And old Joey Covers came through at the end. Uh, but I thought it would be a great opportunity to maybe talk about what we've learned about this football team since that first full week of the season. So, Mary Kay, why don't you kick us off? What? And then, listen, it can be good, it can be bad, it can be whatever. Just just what have we learned about this team from when we left training camp and they played the Ravens and Bengals to now? Well, you know, I'm just going to start with probably the biggest issue right now in my own mind, and, and that is that uh, that they have to do, you know, they're winning football games, but they kind of have to work around Baker Mayfield a little bit. And that's probably on my mind because I've been working on a column about this topic. And, um, and it's just foremost in my mind right now that 
they're lucky that they have a defense that leads the NFL with 12 takeaways. Uh, they're, they're pretty lucky that they have a really good running game and that they have some of the best skill positions in the NFL because right now it's about finding ways to beat uh, the teams that you know you can beat or that you should beat in those kinds of ways uh, and just kind of hoping that your quarterback can kind of hang in there and not throw too many interceptions. So that's sort of foremost in my mind right now. And I would have to say that's the biggest thing that we've learned so far. And look, that's been the big topic conversation all week since Sunday. And it's sort of, what, what is Baker Mayfield's ceiling? And I guess what we've learned is, well, I mean, if you're being optimistic, hopefully we don't know. Or if you're kind of looking at what we've seen over these first few six games here, you're kind of thinking, eh, maybe it's a little more limited than we thought. Ellis, what do you think? Yeah, that's where we're at with this team right now. And I actually just wrote down while we were talking things we've learned. Uh, Baker Mayfield loves playing the Bengals. It <laughs> happened in week one, a tough matchup. And then you bounce back in week two and get the Bengals. And now they get the Steelers. Same thing kind of happened in week one. And then you bounce back and get the Bengals again. Um, Baker Mayfield, three of his uh, four largest yards per attempt stats. So when he was in double digits or flirting with the high nines, Three of those four times he was in that range came against the Bengals uh, on the season. He's in the mid sixes, which it, as a baseline, if you're not above eight, really, you're not um, threatening the defense. I'll, I'll put it that way. So this is a, a spot that I'm sure Browns fans aren't comfortable in. They don't want to be in. I, of course, the organization, the goal is to find that franchise quarterback and Baker does get two more games against those two defenses I just named. But the good news is the Bengals are up next in history bowls well for Baker versus that defense. The biggest concern too for Baker is really like the turn. I mean, it's the turnovers, right? If, if Baker isn't turning the ball over, you can win with him. You, you can kind of, you know, I've, I've heard some people throw out the sort of the Alex Smith comparison. If you have a guy that at least is serviceable, you know, that at least can help you win games that works. But the problem is Alex Smith didn't turn the ball over like ever. Baker's turning the ball over too much. So if you're asking him to be sort of a game manager, it's sort of that winning with versus winning because if he's turning the ball over, it's not going to work. Exactly. That, that is the whole key right now because the way that they have it set up, the way they scheme it up, the way Kevin Stefanski draws it up, it's like, okay, we have to work with what we have. It's pretty obvious right now that they are working with what they know they have and what they know they don't have. And all he has to do, like you said, is kind of not screw it up. Don't be going out and throwing a pick six on the first play of the game. Don't throw two interceptions in the, four, in the second half of the previous game. Like, just don't do those kinds of things. Don't make those mistakes. But teams are getting a book on him. You know, they're starting to be a formula on, on how to shut him down, how to hem him in, uh, how, to, how to make him uncomfortable. Uh, with pressure, how to get in his face and, and how to make him, uh, you know, make those kinds of mistakes, uh, disguise your coverages and things like that. So uh, if he continues to throw interceptions, which he's going to look a lot better, like you just said, Ellis, I still have to figure out what the statistics are. We know that the games against Cincinnati are great. He's way up there. He's got like really nice numbers. His last two games of the 2018 season, his rookie season, uh, you know, he feasted on a horrible Bengals defense and it was fool's gold for how everybody thought about him. Um, 
and we had talked about that back then and nobody wanted to, to really look at that or hear that, but you have to take an unflinching look when there are issues and there are issues now. Um, so I don't know what the, the numbers are for the rest of the NFL, Baker versus the rest of the NFL, but it's, it's not that good. Um, and in doing the column that I'm working on, um, the third quarter, the third down numbers and the fourth quarter numbers are bad. And that's when you need your quarterback, your money, uh, your money situations on third down and fourth quarter have got to be amazing. And it's just, it's just not there right now. Yeah. And I want to add to the interception point real quickly. That's, what's been so disappointing, Dan, you said it because we do the, the, whether it's the Alex Smith comp or the, the Kirk Cousins comp with Baker Mayfield, that was the thing with Kirk Cousins last season with Kevin Stefanski as offensive coordinator. He didn't turn the ball over. I, I'm very confident he was in single digit picks. I want to say somewhere between like six and eight, something like that. And now with Kevin Stefanski out of Minnesota, Kirk Cousins has turned the ball over a lot. I, I mean, I would be shocked if he hasn't already had double digit picks. I know he had three last week. He's his second three turnover game. Kevin Stefanski's in Cleveland and the Browns quarterback is still throwing interceptions. This offense is built to put the quarterback in advantageous situations, to make the throws simple, to have him not throwing into traffic. And yet somehow he's finding a way to do the opposite. Quick stat and double dipping here. This is on Gotta Watch the Tape also, so I'll just throw it out to you. I know, right? Since I got my notepad in front of me. Uh, since 2018, the only QBs with as many multiple uh, turnover games, Baker Mayfield has 11 two interception games since 2018. So the only two quarterbacks with as many or more since 2018 are Phillip Rivers and Jameis Winston. Browns fans just saw what Phillip Rivers is, and Winston now is a rebuilding project in New Orleans. The turnovers are the issue, and they'll probably stop for Cincinnati, but as this trend continues, it's the number one thing I'm watching. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on to, to your thing here, but the Jameis Winston thing is, it's funny you brought that up because I looked it up, I think it was Sunday. Jameis threw 44 picks in his first three seasons. Baker's already up to 41. Wow. Uh, and he's not yeah. even done with his third season yet. Uh, Ellis, what's your, uh, what have you got for us? Yeah. Um, you know what? I've learned that this team's best offensive player is Nick Chubb. And I wouldn't, I, I was not saying that in the off season. I was beating the Kareem Hunt drum second to Dan on this podcast, <laughs> but I'm realizing that this team, the way they're built, they're really missing Nick Chubb. I think this team will have success running the ball against the Bengals, much like they did in week two. But of course, Nick Chubb won't be on the field this time. So it'll be interesting to compare and contrast these two games and really get a, a true understanding of how much they miss Nick Chubb. I, again, I think Kareem Hunt is the master mismatch maker in the NFL. There isn't a player like him on this roster or really in the league. But for how the Browns offense is built and really the lack of explosive plays they're able to find in the passing game, Nick Chubb made up for those in the running game. And Kareem Hunt just isn't that second-level runner that Nick Chubb is. So this team's best offensive player is Nick Chubb. I stand corrected, Browns Twitter. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I hear what you're saying, Ellis, but I also feel like they just ran up against uh, two of the best run defenses in the NFL. The Steelers are so amazing against the run. And I was trying to envision Nick Chubb in that game. I don't know that he would have found many more yards Fair, than yeah than Kareem did. I think that it just so happened that the opportunity to uh, experience life after Nick Chubb came against two amazing, amazing run defenses. And so it just kind of skews the way that we're looking at this. I still think, I still believe that Kareem is a hell of a runner in his own right. And most teams 
would just be thrilled to have that one guy able to do everything that he can do. And again, it's not that you don't miss Nick Chubb. I, I, I know that, you know, the one-two punch of those guys is just out of this world, but I still think that, I still think that they're okay. I think it's the, and I think that will show up over these next few weeks. Well, I mean, Nick, Nick Chubb, uh, Ellis, you mentioned this, Nick, Nick Chubb in the second level is frightening. Like yeah. his, it, it's almost shocking how fast he is, no matter how many times you see it it's still surprising when you see him pull away from someone. It's pretty incredible, but you know, I'll take this a step further and I'll say, I think we really see the full value of that one, two punch now, right? Because there was a very steep drop off on Sunday, even though Kareem Hunt didn't get a ton of yardage, you know, he was still running hard. He still made some plays. He had that third down conversion on the screen where he fought for that extra yard when it was Dearness Johnson out there. And it was the same against the Colts with the exception of that big run, which, you know, was kind of just, you know, follow Chris Hubbard and follow Richard Higgins. When you had that drop off from Hunt to Dearness Johnson, it was very, it's been very noticeable the last two weeks. And I, I think that's really, you know, however you feel about which, which one is better, Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb, that combo is almost unstoppable. And when you have that drop off and you can't just go from one to the other, it's, it's really noticeable in this offense. Especially when you're trying to cover up for the ills of your passing game, right? right. That's where the key to this whole thing is. Most people don't need to be trying to make up for a 29th ranked passing game and a quarterback that is now 31st in the NFL, according to profootballfocus.com's premium stat, elite stats. Uh, that's where he is right now, 31st in the NFL. That's, you know, that's just not okay. So I, I think that's what uh, magnifies this because most teams with really good quarterback situations you know you you've got you've got that one premier back and you can you can live off that you can live off that all day and you can win games that way but with what they're trying to do this year you guys are right about that uh it sure would help to have Nick Chubb out there yeah and Mary Kay I want to push that point even further because you're I think you're you're so accurate about this I'm just looking at the box score from uh the week two game Nick Chubb 22 carries 124 yards two touchdowns but it's Kareem Hunt's 10 carries for 86 yards in a score. Uh, I, I believe like 56 of those yards came on that final drive when the Browns were gonna were putting the Bengals away and he capped it off with an 11-yard score. If that now turns into having to have Baker Mayfield close the game for you because, you know, Dearness Johnson isn't Kareem Hunt because you've now made Kareem Hunt the 25-carry back, you know, Baker Mayfield turned the ball over in the fourth quarter of that game last time versus the Bengals. So I think that's a great point that – with Nick Chubb being out of the equation, you ask Baker to raise his game in closeout moments like that potentially, and that may prove problematic as where this right. Nick Chubb plays in this equation. Exactly. And I think the other piece of this too is Kareem Hunt hasn't carried this kind of load in a long time. Yep. And, you know, he's in great shape. And, you know, I mean, we've talked about it. He's, he's probably in the best shape he's been in since he was in Kansas City, but it is an adjustment, I think, when you're taking that pounding as the featured back, especially going against the Colts, um, the Colts and the Steelers. I certainly mm -hmm. think Nick Chubb, who's, who's really used to that. And again, we see his, his ability to break tackles. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's fair to say that this team definitely misses Nick Chubb. And, and you could make the case like you did, Ellis, that the Nick Chubb is this team's best offensive player. I'm going to go to the defensive side for what I've learned. It's just... You know, this defense is basically boom or bust. They're either going to force a bunch of turnovers and give you short fields and help you score, 
or you're going to have a game like Sunday where they just, and again, they didn't get much help from their offense on Sunday. Eventually you're just going to break and you're not going to be able to hold the Steeler, a team like the Steelers down because, you know, they, they held them to a field goal early. They got consecutive three and outs. They kept the Browns in that game, but just eventually the Steelers were too much. And if this team isn't forcing turnovers, which they did not do uh, against Pittsburgh, they're just not going to be able to shut teams down. That's not how they're built. So I think this is a very boomer bust defense. And we're going to be able to look at, at that takeaway column, you know, five against Washington, three against Dallas, two against Indianapolis. We're going to be able to look at that column and basically decide, yeah, this defense either had a really good game or a really bad game. I don't think we're ever going to look at this defense and say, man, they really just shut that team down. They couldn't move the football at all. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's been the formula. The formula this season is run the ball like crazy and take the ball away and rely on your defensive line and miles Garrett, uh, you know, to create that pressure and to get up front and wreak havoc and kind of wreck the game when there is a, a weak link on the offensive line or a quarterback like a Dwayne Haskins that's just going to throw the ball to, to your defense every, at every opportunity. So that has been the formula. But as you guys all know, you can't live and die by that. You cannot live and die by the takeaway. Uh, you can do it. You can get away with it when you're playing, when you're going to be playing some of the bad teams that they're going to play coming up. Those games, they will probably win that turnover battle three to nothing. Uh, but as you mentioned, you cannot get away with that when you're going up against Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers and a good football team. So their little formula that has worked so well against the losing teams of the NFL, it's going to work. It's going to work. I, I think they have someone mentioned today, and I haven't looked it up yet, but they have six games coming up where the opponent has either zero victories or one victory. Have you guys looked that up yet? Do you know if that's true? Well, anyways, uh, you know, when you, when you start to play the, uh, you know, these teams that are really, really struggling, that, that defensive takeaway thing, which has covered up a lot of the ills on this defense right now, they're getting guys back. It'll get, you know, I think the defense will get better when they get Ronnie Harris, Harrison back. Mac gets a little bit better, but you know, you don't necessarily want to have to count on punching the ball out or getting that interception. If you yeah, Mary Kay, I have it right here. Uh, Bengals, one win, Houston, one win, Philly, one win, Jacksonville, one win, Giants, one win, Jets, no wins. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there you go. So and on the defense real quick, their college defense, Dan was on this from the jump, um, either in Dallas or maybe even before that. This is a, a college defense. Uh, they're built to create turnovers and they're choosing to live in by diet because that's the, their lack of talent is the only way to disguise that. And exactly what Mary Kay said, it's not sustainable. And I thought it was very telling in the Denzel Ward interview this week when he talked to local media, when he was just disappointed that they weren't able to create turnovers. And this team is clearly being told in meetings that they need the turnovers, that they thrive on the turnovers. And then to Mary Kay's point, when it's unsustainable and not something you can live by versus good teams, you get fried on an out and up living for that turnover. And it costs you six on the back end. It's not a sustainable formula, but that's where this defense is. It's boomer bust, just like Dan said. You know, the other thing to consider real quick here is that, um, you know, teams, once they started to see now, not everybody's going to be able to do this because they're not going to have the manpower to do it, but people are going to start to say, Hey, we need to, chip 
Miles Garrett, and we need to double team Miles Garrett, and we need to not put him on an undrafted rookie right tackle like Dallas did for a whole half of the game. You know, I mean, they, the Pittsburgh Steelers did a nice job of managing Miles Garrett. Now they, again, they have the ability to do that. A lot of teams coming up don't have these great, you know, really, really good offensive lines. I mean, the Titans are even going to be without Taylor Lewan. Right. Uh, so they're, you know, they're going to find, uh, Miles is going to find his places to exploit, but um, teams are going to start trying a little bit harder to keep him from wrecking the game. And you know what? That's why you have Miles Garrett. That's why you drafted him number one overall, right? And that's why you made him one of the highest defensive paid players in football because he has that ability to, if you make a mistake or if you put the wrong guy on him, he's, he's going to make you pay. And if you don't do that, even if you're doing all the right things, it's going to shift a whole bunch of resources over to him. I mean, that's, that's the point of having all that talent and, and having a guy like that. And offensively, we're kind of seeing the opposite of that, right? You have all this talent, but you just can't seem to, to get them the football consistently. And, and that's hurting the Browns. Yeah, and, and think about the fact that we are talking about Nick Chubb as their best offensive player, and, and that is true. But should he be that? No. Right. You've got Odell Beckham Jr. on this football team. He should be the best offensive player on this football team. You can make a case that Jarvis Landry should be the best offensive football player on this team. Maybe even Austin, Austin Hooper, probably he would be, you know, behind those guys. But, uh, you know, certainly when you're paying Jarvis and Odell, whatever, you know, $14 million a year, whatever those guys are making somewhere in that, in that neighborhood, they should be the best offensive player on the football team. And for all of the reasons that we have mentioned today, they're not. Somebody out there is yelling at us that we haven't said Wyatt Teller or like Joel Batonio or <laughs> some offensive lineman is the best player on this football team. Sorry about that, folks. We, we left those guys <laughs> out, I guess. All right. Those are the uh, some of the things we learned uh, about the Browns since they played the Bengals. Ellis, what are you guys talking about on Gotta Watch the Tape? Uh, which, again, like I said, I think that's going to be out by the time people hear this. But if they haven't gone back and listened, what, what can they expect? Yeah, it was an all Baker Mayfield conversation, as you can imagine. That's the, we thought about going in another direction, but it, it, I mean, <laughs> you're just you're not addressing what's going on. You're not looking outside your window if you're not talking about Baker Mayfield when it comes to Browns football right now. So the first end, Scott laid out how Baker's doing against pressure and how some of his pressures, most of his pressures, are self-inflicted. And then on the second half, we laid out some um, questions, put some percentages on how this would this team be better or not with average quarterback play as we highlighted Baker's not giving average quarterback play right now. And then we spun the conversation in the future. So an all you can eat Baker Mayfield sandwich. i got to watch the tape this week. Perfect. I uh, can't, can't wait to listen to that. And of course, if you want to listen to that, make sure you're subscribed to the orange and Brown talk podcast feed. We give you like seven podcasts a week. So all the Browns potting you could possibly need is right there. And of course, stick around. Terry Pluto is going to be coming up after the break. And now we welcome on Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you? I'm well, Dan. What's going on with you? You've Not been too. studying that game. You should have it all down. <laughs> Offensive line, Baker Mayfield. I, I did put myself through rewatching that game. I don't know why, but I, I did put myself through rewatching the broadcast of the game, and it was just as bad the second time as it was the first time. Anything jump out to you the second time? You know, I. I'll tell you this, Baker didn't look much better the second time. And, yeah. and I think um, 
you know, the line certainly struggled, but I didn't come away thinking that it was quite as bad. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like they were great, but I didn't come away thinking it was as bad as it felt in real time. One thing struck me just being there in person. This is where um, I think it helps to see the game in person because you watch the first play, then you go to the TV, you know, how we right. are. In the right. Is you get a better sense of overall team speed, I think, when you see it in person. And by far, even faster than the Ravens play, I thought the Steelers, especially defensively, were so quick. And that's what just struck me. Because it wasn't just not the line of scrimmage, it was in the secondary, it was everywhere. And the Browns, who haven't looked slow that often this year, looked slow compared to them. Yeah, and I, and I should say, when I say it didn't look as bad, I mean, more importantly, the line play. The game itself still looked terrible. <laughs> the game's a terrible game, right. Yeah, you looked at the offensive line, because I was kind of wondering on that. Yeah, I mean, there were bad moments, and, and there were certainly times. That speed thing, I think, is so true, especially up front. You know, yeah. Bud, Bud Dupree just dominated that game. And I think it's concerning, actually, that there were moments when, I mean, T.J. Watt had that one offside, but for the most part, they were timing things up really well. Mm-hmm. And it, it seemed like they were just getting in the backfield before anybody had a chance to do anything. But the problem was overall, even when Baker was protected, he just wasn't getting the ball where it needed to go. He was really hesitant. It just felt like he wasn't trusting what he was seeing. Right. I think we've seen a little of that during the course of the year anyway, with uh, especially when he's had to throw from the pocket. But I think, you know, I got some emails from fans. See what you think of this. They said, well, why didn't they roll Baker out more in that? I think they couldn't because maybe he couldn't move as well because of the ribs. And secondly, because how fast the Steelers were. I mean, I I had somebody told me before the game, the Steelers game plan was to make him throw from the pocket. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I kind of wanted to to talk about. I mean, not every team is going to be able to do what the Steelers did because no. their defense is so talented. And like you said, so fast, but I do think maybe there is that blueprint out there a little bit that if you can not mm-hmm. hem Baker into the pocket, he has a little more trouble seeing, and he does panic a little bit more than, than when he can roll out and throw on the run. And, and I just, I think that's something worth watching going forward. I don't I don't think the Bengals can do it, but I think there might be some teams that, you know, might be able to do that to him. Yeah, an interesting thing, too, I was talking to an executive who really knows the Steelers well, and he said something to me because he goes, well, you know, they blitz on 51% of their plays. Like, I know that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. He said there's a second level of blitzes they have that are designed to stop the run. In other words, he goes, they shoot, they'll shoot a lot of the gaps. They'll study the gaps where the, where the Browns tend to have their uh, running plays go, and he said they'll shoot those things. He goes, it's going to be harder to run. And I have never heard that before. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. Um, that's why they blitz so often. And also, I mean, this is the product of when you face a team that's played together for a long time. Right. You know, even if some of the key elements, maybe defensively, this one changes or that, but that system's in place and they're able, you know, you'll plug and play with these guys. And uh, it, it showed up. And I also think because the Browns, see what you think, their offense is so new and that uh, they couldn't get past maybe the few, first few elementary things they're doing there to perhaps counteract some of that stuff. 
Yeah, I, I think that's fair. They, they really couldn't. And, and when you took away the rollouts, you took away the play action. It just sort of stalled the offense entirely. Yeah. I think the best drive of the game was probably, I believe they were, I believe it was when they were down 24 nothing, and then they scored. Um, they got Higgins in the end zone. Your guy Higgins, another touchdown. <laughs> there he is. All he does is <laughs> score touchdowns. That's it's, all I got to say. It's true. But you there's know, more got, touchdowns if you're Jarvis Landry or Richard Higgins. <laughs> they, they got By a lot of play you know, Landry's pass. my favorite player. So I just, it's a, other, other than Richard, of course. Yeah. But it is funny how that is. He's like, it's like nobody covers him. It's like he gets no respect or something. That's I know. Fine. He, he just sneaks out. And yeah. he's, I mean, he was wide open on that play. I know. It's like the other touchdown he caught, he was kind of wide open. <laughs> But the, the one time they did get that play action game going, they did get a rollout going. That's when Baker was in that rhythm. But yeah. other than that, it just wasn't, it wasn't, it looked like the Baltimore game, not just with the score, but really with right. the Right. And that, and, but, you know, and I wrote a column, they're still not the same old Browns. I'm not going to go down that road, uh, even though certainly Baltimore and Pittsburgh made them look that way. But they have won four games. And I, I thought this year the big steps would be, where you start beating the teams you should beat. In other words, right. beat those other teams. And you want to see a better performance than they gave against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. But we may see that in the second half of the season because I think that's when they should be better. Um, and, you know, you try to bring some kind of some rationality. I mean, right now, although it's like I'm getting all these emails from people, it's like, well, Baker's not the guy and this and that. I mean, maybe he's not. But what are you going to do in week seven? Yeah. Boy, Case Keenum, you know he's not the guy. I mean, you know that. Keenum's a good backup, but he's not the guy. And by the way, you're not drafting right now, you know, right. and you're not going to trade for a starting quarterback right now. By the way, what about the chief, Dave Njoku, wants a trade? Oh, my goodness. I, you know, I don't get it. I really don't. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess on the one hand, if he's looking at things and saying, you know what, I'm not going to play over Austin Hooper and I'm not going to play over Harrison Bryant, I guess. But then again, I don't know. It would help to be healthy. Yeah. Who really wants to give up? How about being on the field, being available? Yeah. And making plays when you're on the field. Yeah. So, and I mean, part of the reason that uh, those guys are playing ahead of them is, you know, you listen to Stefanski and even Callahan, they talk about those guys block people yeah and i mean njoku can but look we've been watching this stuff since when is he 2017 with him yeah 2017 yeah he had like kind of one pretty good year in 18 and healthy you know he can't stay healthy and the thing is usually if a player is injury prone early in his career what's it going to be later yeah and, and he's still such you know he came in as such a raw prospect but it just hasn't really we haven't seen a ton of growth Mm-hmm. from you know this raw prospect to any like I still look at him four years in and I'm like well he's still pretty raw well okay at yeah when he's got to get close to a finished product and right you you move on I mean that's that's why they did take those other guys and you know Harrison Bryant has been a pleasant surprise I think they didn't think he would be able to block as well as he has they thought he would almost be just kind of a tight end masquerading you know or rather wide receiver masquerading as a tight end um and we, you know, get dwell on, on Baker a lot. I don't think Kareem Hunt's 100% at all. I don't either. And, the and first was not there. And it's it's so hard to tell because he's played. I mean, you they played the Colts and now the Steelers, two of the best yeah. run defenses in the league. And he looked okay against the Colts, especially in the second half. 
But, you know, he got banged up in this game again. Mm-hmm. And You know, in the two, last two games, his longest runs both times have been 10 yards. Yeah. And he, and he had that one play, I think it was a screen pass on third down that he kind of fought for that extra yard. Yeah. Be a little bit of that, but I, I'm kind of with you. I don't think he's 100%, and I think that going against the defenses they've had to go against has only made it more difficult. I thought this was the game. I think they missed Nick Chubb against the Colts, but I think this is the game where they really missed Nick Chubb. Well, is is because now you you're turning to Dearness Johnson a lot more. And yeah, and you know, and then look, you're in a big time game. You need your big time players, right? Well, that's I know that's real profound, but <laughs> that's the thing there. It's like where you, this is where kind of coaching ends and talent takes over. In the big time games, you know, that's when you know the several big time players or plays were made by the Steelers guys. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Washington made some really good catches. And, and you know, Ben is, ben is still Ben, Roethlisberger. I mean, he made some really good throws. Um, Connor seems to play pretty well against the better against the Browns. He does some other teams. I, I looked it up. He's got nine 100-yard games in his career. Three of them are against the Browns. Yeah. How about this? 20% of his career rushing yards have come against <laughs> the Browns. I mean, he I was mean, great to me. If, if you go on pro football reference and look at his game logs, he's got those 900 yeah. yard games. Like I said, three of them against the Browns. And then it just drops to like a bunch of games in the sixties, the fifties, mm-hmm. the forties. You know, he's just been real inconsistent, but whenever he sees a Browns uniform, he's putting up a hundred yards. Cause that was, you know, the Browns run defense had been pretty good until that game. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't there. And, and we, you know, we're, we've, because of the stuff on Baker and that, that, I mean, the defense was terrible too. Now, granted, you know, before they even took the field pretty well, I'm sorry, they gave up the field goal, which actually was pretty good on that first drive. I thought Pittsburgh was just going to go down and score. And they ended up having them for a field goal. So they're down three, nothing. Then of course, Baker throws a pick six, so it's 10. And now it just, then the Pittsburgh could do all kinds of nice stuff, both on offense and defense. Though. Although they, they did they did kind of keep them in the game. You know, they, they had back-to-back three and outs before the floodgates mm-hmm. kind of opened there. I mean, they just really needed the offense to do something. I mean, this right. defense, even when it's healthy, isn't built to just shut people down. And the offense is built to stay on the field a lot of time. Right. Which they couldn't do. So, I mean, look, you got the Bengals coming up. They're defensively. I haven't looked at the rankings. The last time I saw, they were like 28th or 30th. Um, you know, we saw what the Browns did to them the first time. Yeah, and I think they can go up and down with them again. But you know, obviously the Bengals can score too. So, so I guess like you know, obviously we talked about this Pittsburgh game, this Baltimore game. They lost both those games by thirty. But I, I guess is this next stretch of games where we're really going to find out what this team is because you have you got the Bengals and the Jaguars that kind of bookend these five games. But in mm-hmm. the middle, you've got I think you've got a Houston team that is better than their record. I think Philly is better than their record. I mean, those are teams that can show up and compete. Well, I mean, when and, you're and facing, then you have, and then you've got Oakland in there too, who just beat Kansas City not that long. Ah, uh, Las Vegas, my son. Oh, Las Vegas, you're right. That's I messed right. it up. I got to put Derek a dollar. Carr is coming off one of the greatest games of his career because a, a writer from Las Vegas called me yesterday to talk about some stuff <laughs> that I knew. But uh, in terms of uh, those games, as you mentioned, though, uh, Philadelphia, you've got. Carson Wentz, who's been struggling, but is still a good quarterback. And Houston's got Watson. Those guys can beat you. And they have certainly beat the Browns in the past. And if the Browns are having trouble scoring suddenly, 
they're in trouble. Now, if Baker could pull himself together and quit throwing the ball to the other team, yeah, they need the Baker Mayfield in their first four games, who was completing 60% of his passes, had seven touchdowns to two interceptions. That's what he was in their first four games. You know, in the last two games, it's what, four interceptions and, you know, I forgot, a couple of touchdowns. And I don't know what the, the passing percentage is. It's not good. Yeah, it, well, and it kind of goes back to this idea of the lower the pass attempts for Baker generally has yeah. been better. Um, you know, obviously against Indianapolis, he threw the ball 28 times in the first half and, and looked mm-hmm. good, but eventually you know, they struggled in the second half. But you look at that Cincinnati game, 23 passes. Washington, 23 passes. He threw 30 times against Dallas, but, you know, we know what Dallas's defense is. You know, you were going to be able to do some things against them regardless. It's I mean, in throughout, general, throughout his career, when that number has been lower, he's he's been better. The team has been better. I mean, in general, Dan, I don't like my quarterbacks throwing more than 30 or 35 times, just in general. I'd rather have a team good enough um, to be able to run the ball so you don't have to do that. So my defense isn't out there all the time. That was one of the problems – when, remember when Chip Kelly tried that uh, really quick tempo with the Eagles several years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they scored some points in that, but they just kept putting their defense back on the field. And it just wore them down, you know, over time. Uh, and where I, you know, I don't, even if I have a good defense, I still want to rest it. And so I like it when you could, you know, chew up the clock. And that's, by the way, what the Steelers did. Ben, ben was, I think, almost like, well, well they, they didn't like, I didn't even have to do much in the second half. Just kind of hand off. And, and, that, and, and that's what I that's what I want to see with Baker there. And then suddenly when you do go to throw the ball, you play action works and all this kind of stuff. I've, I've always been impressed with the Steelers and their ability to, like, get the ball in the second quarter of a game and just decide, you know what? We're going to have a nice long possession here. Mm-hmm. We're just going to eat up clock and we're going to keep our defense on the sideline. And, you know, they had a possession in the third quarter uh, where they ended up gaining a total of five yards because of penalties <laughs> and things like that. Their first possession in the second quarter, it ended up being a net of five yards. And they ate five minutes off the clock. It's like it went on forever. Yeah. Just, <laughs> it, and, and that's, again, that's the game plan they have for the Browns to be able to do some of that stuff. What do you think is going to happen? How do you feel about Baker going into uh, Cincinnati? I think he'll be okay. You know, I'm not expecting great things. He's put up good numbers against the Bengals, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't think this defense is really much of anything. Uh, you know, they blew a big lead against Indianapolis. Um, I watched like the first two and a half quarters of that game and Phillip Rivers started to look good against them, which kind of tells you what you need to know. Yeah. Um, if he plays poorly against Cincinnati, then there's some real trouble. And, you know, I don't want that to happen. I don't want this to go into, like, game eight, and he's throwing a whole bunch of interceptions now, and you're going, oh, you go to Case Keenum and all this stuff uh, because that just – then you got Baker sitting on the bench and all the quarterback drama. And I know that's one of the things they really want to eliminate. But here – see what you think of this, Dan. When you – as a coaching staff come in and you place so much emphasis on lack of turnovers, you know, there's nothing wrong with an incomplete pass, you know, give us a chance. And the guy keeps making turnovers. Um, I mean, in effect, the standard that you set, which isn't incredibly high, it's not, it's not saying I need you to win the game. It's like, I need you not to lose the game. 
Right. Now, I want I want to put you in position to win it, but I really need you not to lose it. And you keep trying to lose it. That forces the hand of, of the coaching staff to like, I'll put the other guy in the game because I know he won't lose it. Well, and I, you know, I've kind of made this case a little bit. You know, the, the pick six was awful, right? There, yeah. you, you know, it was a pick six. But to me, the second interception was maybe worse because, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Browns were sort of trying to play this field position game a little bit. Yeah. And he scrambles out of the pocket, panics, just throws the ball up for grabs. I mean, the pick six, he just made a mistake. But in this situation, you've started 35 games. You the bad thing about the, ball up for grabs the pick six, because I looked at that a couple times, and, and and Ellis Williams was sitting by me at the game. He's very good breaking down film. Tim right. Breaking down film. Really good. If people haven't checked this stuff out, they should. But Ellis ran it, and, and it's like Baker never looked or thought about throwing it anywhere else. And you could see how uh, Fitzpatrick was just waiting. It's, you know, it's like they, they kind of faked him into it. But if you look at it there, if you actually were thinking there might be somebody there as, as, as a quarterback should, you know, not just I'm throwing it to Bryant no matter what. And that's what it was. It was like the play was scripted to go to Bryant. So I'm going to Bryant and boom, you know, because there was man in front and back. They both, are, that's the problem. They both are bad interceptions. You know, sometimes, like I saw one of Brady's interceptions in the game and it went off the receiver's hands and the, the defensive back caught it. It's like, yeah, the throw was a little high by Brady, but it wasn't all on him. But both of those for, for Baker, and if I recall, the Indianapolis ones were kind of all on him. Yeah, I mean, he might have gotten hit on one, but yeah, still, I, you know, I, I don't really recall looking at those and thinking, oh, that was something else. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, just to what me, did you, who did you like in that game? Because you, you watched it. Who played well? Oh, man, who played well in that game? <laughs> For the Browns? Yeah, no, I, I mean, really, I'm serious. Um, this is a really tough one. Yeah. I, I don't it's know. It's hard to evaluate the I line. I just don't know, honestly. Like, I, nobody really stood out to me, and I was like, okay, that guy still played pretty well. I mean, even Miles, you know, he had a sack, and I thought they were they were kind of trying to keep away from him. I, I thought yeah, they did they a were. good job. Boy, they, they ran a lot of guys at him. I watched some of those, too. And... Um. I mean, Olivier Vernon, I, I had to look up his number because he actually did something. He batted down a pass. Yeah, he had a batted pass. B.J. Goodson, he, I think, batted a pass. Yeah. No, I mean, B.J. Goodson was – I guess it's all sort of relative, right? Like, what do you expect out of B.J. Goodson? I thought, you know, had some stops in the run game and got his hands on a football, I think, one mm-hmm. time. It's just – I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's hard for me to sit there and single anyone out. Well, you lose that guy 38 to 7. Yeah, it's, it, there's not a lot. Yeah. I mean, I thought, you know, here we go. I'll, I'll stay on brand on this. I thought Kareem ran hard. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I there's, there just wasn't a standout performance. What did you make of Odell and the shoes and all that stuff? <laughs> I, I, I'm curious what you thought of this too. You know, I, it is what it is. You, you know what you're getting in Odell Beckham. Yeah. Right, like you knew when you traded, and I know this this group didn't trade for him, but you know when you trade for him, and you know when he's on your roster, and you decide to stick with him, what you're going to get, you know that you're going to have to have some stuff like this. And to be honest with you, should he have taken his shoes off on the sideline and pulled his jersey up and gotten into it with fans? Probably not. But I I don't know. I don't think it's 
I, I'm not real worked up about it, I guess. Yeah, I think you wait to see whether it's going to become a pattern or not. But the shows, though, too, I think when they're losing, and I forgot how many targets he got in that game. It wasn't commanded. I think six or something like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up here, see what he got. Yeah, and they didn't run any of his reverses. The one play that I thought was going to be a reverse, I don't know if you remember, he ran behind Baker, but then uh, Baker got smashed. How many targets you see? He got, he got four targets. Four. Yeah, so that, that play you're talking about, actually, um, I watched it back a couple times. He was actually a fake on that. Yeah, it was a screen to – And it was supposed to, to be uh, a screen to Kareem Hunt. But, yeah. But Bud Dupree was not interested in – Not interested seeing in – what Odell Beckham else. was doing. He just went straight for Baker. Somebody like that goes, well, if they'd have gotten the screen off, it could have gone a long way. And if it, I had here, then I would be called. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know. But the fact is, there was no way to get it off, and I'm not growing hair. So, yeah, well, and, and that one speaks to that team speed because the play was designed for Hooper to kind of come back yeah. across the formation and pick up a blocker. And it's funny, if you listen on the broadcast, you can actually just hear, I'm assuming it was Hooper, yell, watch out, right when Baker's about to get hit. Uh, by the way, and, and to that, the, the, the executive told me about the different blitzes the Steelers use. He goes, most teams can't play that way. They're not fast enough. So in other words, they'd be coming with these blitzes to fill these gaps, but they wouldn't get there in time, you know, as quick as the Steelers do. Then suddenly that whole middle of the field is open and, and that. But, I, you know, I keep waiting for some passes to the tight ends, kind of running down the, 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 the seams in the middle of the field and, and that for some gains. Because that's kind of a standard NFL play now. You know, you get them on a safety or on a linebacker, this big target and he gets out there 10 or 15 yards. He's going to throw it to him in the middle of the field. I haven't seen a lot of that from. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they've really unlocked a lot with their tight ends just yet. Well, we're starting to see fine. some screens, right? We're going into week seven. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be a great time to, to start getting those guys down the field. I mean, since you paid the one guy 44 million paid Hooper <laughs> that much. And, uh, and so they've been throwing it a little more to him, but a lot of times to me, it seems kind of desperation safety valve stuff so i'm curious what do you want to see from this team in december when they play baltimore again on monday night and they play pittsburgh and assuming that game means something when they play pittsburgh well, well you, you want to you want to see them be competitive but i also i'm really curious to see what we're going to see in the next few games uh, just because they beat the Bengals earlier and the Bengals aren't that good. You could lose that game in Cincinnati. If you're, if you're not playing, you know, to your ability, you don't have Chubb. Uh, you have Baker who's now we'll see how he's physically, but I think emotionally he's pretty beat up and you have Burrow who put 30 points on the Browns. So you better be ready to go in that one. And then the next week, Vegas is a pretty decent team. So I want to see how these things go. I mean, later on, I know they go to Tennessee. That's going to be difficult. Um, I, I know they said the Browns schedule going out. is supposed to be one of the weakest in the NFL, but. I don't, I don't, I, I never, I, like that. I, I, I never really like that whole, Oh, your schedule either. Because to me, I mean, you said it, I look at Houston and they can't stop anybody and their record's terrible, but they also, if they convert a two point conversion on Sunday, they beat Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. Same with Philadelphia. They, uh, they were down two points and I mean, they had a two point try to tie Baltimore. 
I mean, not that Romeo Cornell is a great head coach or whatever, but they need a grandfather to steady things down over there and let the guys play. And we have seen that in Cleveland. You know, the one thing Romeo will be is a, a, a very stable force. And after all the stuff with O'Brien and all that there, I think he will help them. Um, yeah. And I think they'll be tougher than they were uh, to play than they were earlier in the year. Um, so, I'm again, I'm anxious. The nice thing we, I'm going to go back to, I also have more confidence in this coaching staff that they won't, they won't be as emotionally unhinged as some of the other coaching staffs we've seen. I think that's fair. I think that's uh, fair. All right. the, the, other mean, piece, got... the other piece of that schedule thing, too, is like, these are still NFL teams. Of course. I mean, and, it's, and it's like, not like, like Ohio State's playing, you know, Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. I mean, you don't get that stuff. <laughs> well, until they play the Jets at the end of the year. But until yeah. that, these are these are still NFL. Well, how about Greg Williams saying, look, don't play me. Our offense is terrible. He's he's smelling that interim job. Greg's going, look, I went five and three. Give this to me, you know. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it's pretty chaotic there. One thing we know, Master Sergeant Greg Williams <laughs> will bring some order. The players may hate him. That's but true. They will, uh, they will get lined up. And, you know, again, kind of the opposite of Romeo. You know, he'll settle things down in a different way that everybody will be in their little box and told what to do. Uh, and there's always different styles of coaching. I kind of like, though, when you know what a coach will do. And I think here uh, with Stefanski, I don't think he's going to get, like, way out of his comfort zone. Now, I got some – I want to see what you think of this. Some emails from fans say, you know, Stefanski said that's on me a couple of times. That reminded me of Freddie saying, blame me, blame me, blame me. What about that resonate? I, I got a little bit of that because I pointed that out in a tweet, and then I actually wrote a little column on it. Mm -hmm. I understand that, but I just thought the tone Stefanski took, you know, it, with Freddie, it was always, I, I guess for whatever reason, I just never bought it when Freddie said it. Yeah. And to well, me, a lot of it too, Freddie didn't even let the question go very far. Right. Where, where I think he kept saying, we need to call better plays. I need to put him in better position. That told me that I think even during the game, Stefanski's going, when I mentioned about those blitz things that they were confusing them and the gaps, I think he's realizing I'm hitting the wrong buttons here on this. Right. And, and I I'm, think I, I'm killing my guys. And some of the pushback too was like, well, maybe, you know, you should be blaming the player. Like, you know, there should be accountability. And I guess my, my thing is, is like, yes, there should be, but it shouldn't be in press conferences. It should yeah. be when you're in the film room or in yeah, meeting room. You do the that's press when the, That's when the accountability has to happen. I just, I've, I've been impressed with how he's so quick and I think genuine when he says, I need to do this better. Yeah. I think players hear that players, players notice that stuff and they, and they notice when a coach says we need to execute better and they know exactly what that means. Mm -hmm. They know that that's the coach going after them and Kevin Stefanski doesn't And also I think too, often. you pull out the criticism of the player publicly. That's like the third card in the deck. You know, when you're trying to get their attention, you know, right. you've had the private meeting, you've had the team meeting, and now it seems to be going nowhere. So now we got to do the, you know, so-and-so's got to be more professional or, or whatever it is, because uh, you're trying to uh, reach him, you know, in a different way. So I'm, I'm at, and we have to remember, because he hasn't seemed like it, but Stefanski is a 30, I think he's a 38-year-old rookie coach. 
I forgot whether it's 37 or 38. 38. Okay, he's a 38-year-old rookie coach. We've seen rookie coaches here, and we've seen them literally just fall right up in front of our eyes, whether it's Freddie Kitchens. Uh, I mean, Pat Shermer, I remember such a horrible rookie year. He was better his second year. Um, a lot of guys have fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that will happen with this guy. And I also think that, it, you know, he has surrounded himself with some veteran coaches that will help him. Now, in the past, there have been some guys, even if you look back at the coaching staff last year, you know, that came in, there were some veteran coaches around Kitchens. Um, when you look at, uh, like, James Campen, the offensive line coach, uh, who's the defensive coordinator? He's been the coach of Carolina. Uh, Steve Wilkes. Yeah, Wilkes is a former head coach. Um, there were some others, uh, Henry, the, the wide receivers coach. Right. But I don't think he relied on these guys very much, you know, at all. Heck, Todd Munkin's been a head coach in college and offensive coordinator a couple of places. Where is he now, by the way? Oh, my gosh. I don't remember. Did he go I back to college, that, I think? I believe, I believe he's, he's an offensive he's in college coordinator. somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't – I can't remember off the top of my head, but, yeah. So It um, always felt like Freddie's head was on a swivel. Yeah, because he wasn't right. going to – where I do think right now, remember, his, isn't his office right next to Bill Callahan's? I it, believe it's, clo- it is. it's close, yeah, if it's yeah. not right so next to him. Probably sits down, you know, and Bill go, all right, my son. You know, and he probably will say, hey, some of my blocking schemes suck, too, in this one. You know, <laughs> remember, because that's where I wrote the coaching staff didn't help Baker much either. I mean, Baker was bad, but uh, the and we, we have to mention that when we've been giving them a lot of credit. It isn't just that the, I got to like, well, Terry, you're just so dumb. The Steelers are better. Yeah, they're better. But my goodness, they better not be 30 or 29 points better or whatever that was. What was you, the you 38 to 7. 30, they better not be 31 points bad. And again, it was it wasn't just 38 to seven. It was 60 minutes of yeah. The Steelers it was are like just that, the Steelers are just like that Baltimore game. They could have got 50. They could have got what they needed that day. But even but even in the Baltimore game, that thing was like 10 to six or something in the yeah. second quarter. And Odell dropped that third down pass, and then Cybert missed the field goal, and the wheels came off. There just wasn't. I mean, the wheels came off the minute they stepped on the field against Pittsburgh. Well, the wheels came off when he gave up a pick six. Yeah. Because at that point, actually, I was encouraged. They stopped the Steelers from getting the touchdown. Then they come out, and I think it's third and two or something like that. Uh, but, by the way, it showed that they were not a lot of confidence in the running game. You know, they could, the, the fact they were throwing that at all. So, I don't know, Dan. I'm curious to see. A nice thing is, like, we're four and two in the season, and I mean, we as people who are following the team and writing about it, as opposed to two and four, right? And um, going into to Cincinnati, where they have a chance to win, um, fun game to watch with Burrow and and Baker. I, I stuff. I really you know, like the entertainment watching value Burrow. on this team, other than the two contending teams. But the other four games, the entertainment value has been tremendous, and that's part of the NFL. Yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, I asked Jack Conklin yesterday, you know, because he was with Tennessee last year and yeah. different situation. They started two and four. Now they changed quarterbacks, but right. they started two and four and went to the AFC championship game. Yeah, and, they went to kind of a system. And the point he made is like, hey, we're we're better off than I was in Tennessee last year. And they actually That's switched and they go to more of the, the type of offense the Browns are running. Right. Exactly. You know, they pounded the ball on the ground, a lot of play action. Suddenly Ryan Tannehill looks really good because, you know, you go back and you look at that offense and it's made some pretty good 
made some decent quarterbacks look pretty good and made them a ton of money, whether it's Garoppolo, uh, Jared Goff, Tannehill, mm-hmm. just of recent. I'm sure you go farther back than that, but those three right there were, you know, Jared Goff after his rookie year, nobody knew what the heck they had there. You know, is this guy going to be the, you know, like Josh, my guy, I, I was talking, somebody were talking about the 2018 draft ratings. And I go, all right, my guy, number one was Josh Rosen at my quarterbacks. Because I had the two Joshes. I had Josh Allen, two, and I had okay. Baker, three, and didn't even mention Lamar. So, yeah. That, by the way, just to encourage people to really study my, my graphs, my draft <laughs> stuff with the John design. I am reminded regularly that I should just shut up around draft time and yeah. <laughs> just let the I experts. I think quarterbacks, the experts quarterbacks are notes. very hard to evaluate. They're hard. Listen, I thought Patrick Mahomes was. I w- I watched his Texas Tech games. I, I thought he was never going to work in the NFL. I, I that. Like I thought, I watched him throw interceptions to converted running backs, but you know, I just didn't account for the fact that. He had to score 60 points for Texas Tech to even have a you know, chance. You the know? other thing that was interesting about Mahomes, I talked to Dorsey about this, and he said when they brought him in, they liked him, but they brought him in and put him on the board, but he and Andy Reid, and I think Ballard was the assistant GM then, or whoever it was. The three uh, v- Veach was there, Ballard was there. Yeah, I think, right. I think actually, no, Ballard I think was gone. because I think it was Gone, okay, the other I guy. It was Veach that really Veach. wanted Mahomes. So the three of them are in the room. They put him on the whiteboard, and Andy's working him over, you know, with mental stuff and they go this guy is so smart and it, it changed how they viewed him suddenly like right. we can get him and this guy can learn this system or that system he was so bright and you know you don't know that now granted you still don't know how it's going to translate but they've seen enough guys on the board you know look stupefied frankly that um <laughs> Is he, he mentioned a couple of quarterbacks I won't that he said, you know, you got him on the board. You go, oh, my God, you know, this guy doesn't know anything. He's a pure system guy. So, All right. Well, look, we just we got to know what we don't know. And I'll tell you this. I don't know quarterbacks. There's a lot I don't. The longer you live, the less you know. <laughs> hey, before we um, go. You know what I do know? I have to mention it because you did. Yes. I'm doing that Medicare webinar. That's that's what I got right here. On this All right. You ready paper. to do it? Here we go. Over 600 people have signed up. So this is that's great. Well, join in. It's October 22nd at 2 p.m. What is that? Thursday? Yeah, Thursday at 4 p.m. So it's it's uh, it says 2 p.m. here. Is it 4 or 2? 4 p.m. on Thursday. 4 p.m. on Thursday. Well, whatever it is, it'll be on the Facebook page. So no, the webinar is pre- okay. The webinar is presented by Cleveland.com and Medical Mutual and helps simplify the complex process of finding the right Medicare plan for your needs. Terry, together with our experts from Medical Mutual, Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging and Discount Drug Mart will guide you through the process and answer your most pressing questions. Go to our cleveland.com Facebook channel, click on the Medicare event for more details and to register. So that's great, 600 people. Yeah, well, you know what I'm gonna say, cause I am Medicare eligible. So this is important to me. And secondly, I'm gonna tell the fans, this is just like you gotta have a scouting report before you face the Steelers. <laughs> if you got the wrong one, You get the wrong coverage, and the Browns certainly did. Right. There we go. All right, Terry, thanks for the time. Take care, Dan.